You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. To penetrate our hearts, to penetrate our minds, to penetrate our busy lives, and change us and transform us and mold us into the people you've called us to be. I pray that we wouldn't miss out. I pray not a single person here this morning would miss out on your best for their life. That God, the goodness and richness of your presence would be calling us into deeper intimacy every single day. I pray it in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So 1 Kings chapter 6, we're going to look at in verse 11. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to, to Solomon. Concerning this house that you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in, the, walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. He repeats, the word that came to King Solomon was this repeated theme that we've been um, talking about over the last several weeks, that God wants to dwell with his people. And King Solomon received that, that mandate from his father that he was going to be a part of this redemptive story of establishing central to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel, this idea that God wants to dwell amongst them. You know, God's not impressed by our buildings. Nor was God impressed by the the temple that that King Solomon could come up with. No, instead, God was after their hearts, and he wanted to be preeminent and central to the people of Israel. That's what he was after, him wanting to dwell with us. He wants to be our our first and foremost, our our grandest affection. And that's what he wants. So Solomon went on to build the house, and he finished it. And he also built himself a palace. Then he brought the the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And there was this overwhelming uh, demonstration or manifestation of the presence of God. It says the, the, the presence of God came like a cloud into the temple. It saturated the, the temple so, so densely that the priests couldn't even be in there. It was such a um, dramatic demonstration of God's reality. And then we get into uh, Paul, I mean, not Paul, Solomon, I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> King Solomon, where am I? Uh, Sunday morning, I'm going to speak to the people on the truth of God. Okay, King Solomon, he then prayed over, uh, over the temple to bless it. And then he turned to the people, and this is what we're going to read right, right now in, in chapter 8, verse 54. Turn there a couple pages over. Now he turns to the people, and he wants to pray a prayer of blessing on the people of Israel for them to capture the moment that they are participating in. He says in verse 54, Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, 
And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know the Lord is God, that there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. And I want us this morning to hear this message from King Solomon for us today to steward what we have been given. We have been given the presence of God, just like the people of Israel in a different way, but in a similar way. They were given the presence of God as central to 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 the nation of Israel. We today, through the work of Jesus Christ, through now the life, the living life of the, the, of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we have a responsibility to steward the presence of God in our lives, just like the people of Israel thousands of years ago. I want to preach a, a message this morning entitled, The Promise of His Presence. We have been promised the presence of God in our lives today, and this is the, the final message in this series of messages on the presence of God Several weeks ago, I defined the presence of God as the dominant reality of the rule of Jesus in a person or a place. Obviously, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. So when the Bible talks about the presence, it can almost seem self-contradictory or like an unnecessary statement. Of course he's present. So what, why, is the, why is it the word of God, God's redemptive story, continues to talk about the presence of God? And very, at the very beginning, Genesis 3 talks about Adam and Eve running from the presence of God or hiding from the presence of God. How is that possible? Well, it's truly, it's not possible. It's really a, 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 um, a reflection of our hearts. Adam and Eve were trying to run from the reality of God in their lives, from him, his rule being the, the dominant reality of their lives. And so often in our lives, we run from the, the reality of God being the dominant reality of our lives, the rule of Jesus. But when he becomes preeminent, when, he, when, when the, the ultimate reality of our lives becomes Jesus, first and foremost, and really nothing else, it's when the presence of God is there in a tangible way, in a demonstrable way, in a, in a, in a real way. And so this morning, I want to empower you or equip us, I guess, with this promise of his presence. That becomes sustenance to help us persevere, that sustains us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, maybe a familiar passage to you. Jesus gives us this, this mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Maybe you've heard that passage before. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But then he gives, he pairs that commission, that mandate, with a promise. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives us a promise of his presence. Before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, I am with you always. How could he say that? He's leaving them because of what he had just accomplished on the cross through his resurrection. He said, I'm not leaving you, actually. Physically, I'm leaving you, but he already appeared to them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We live in this age. And he says, to to the end of the age, we live in this age in which the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That we can actually have fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. That promise that Jesus gave the disciples and gives us still today is different than any promise that that we could give to any other person. 
Me and my wife, we just left our kids and went on a trip to Seattle last weekend. So thankful for Pastor Kyle preaching last weekend and I heard it was an amazing service. I listened to the podcast, just knocked it out of the park. Thanks, man. But when we leave our kids behind, we, we give them promises. You know, we say, we'll be back. We, we love you. We'll be praying for you. You can give us a call and if you need anything. Those are all promises. Those are all promises that are much different than the promise that Jesus gave us. It was, it was amazing traveling without kids. We love traveling with our kids, but Tony and I left the house with one small bag, and we were like, we are, we are traveling. Like, we must be missing something. And we travel with, the, with, with all six of us. It's like we're packing the whole house. You never know. You have to have all contingencies accounted for. Um, but it's just the two of us. We're going to be like, we have to be missing something. It was, it was, it was kind of refreshing. It was fun. When we, we leave our kids, that's a much different promise than what Jesus gave us. He left, but he didn't really, really leave because in perfect unity with the Holy Spirit, he equipped us in such a way to, to uh, help us endure and persevere on the mission that he left us. So he paired his mission with a promise. Go and make disciples, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm with you always at the end of the ages. So my, my goal for this morning is for you in a very personal way to have an encounter with Jesus where you see him standing before you, empowering you and equipping you and saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because as a follower of Jesus, he's calling you in this mission to be a part of it, not as a spectator, not as a bystander, not to just sit on a a chair every week and consume. He's calling you to be a part. And with that, he's giving you a promise. And he's looking you in the eyes and he's saying, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. That's a promise. Our main idea for this morning, before we really dive into this scripture in 1 Kings, is the presence is a personal promise for our perseverance. The presence. It's a personal promise, and I want you this morning to claim it for your life as a personal promise. Jesus himself, in a very personal way, is going to stir up a conviction and a confidence in your heart that his presence is with you. And it's going to give you the sustenance and the, the food for your soul to help you persevere. Because life happens. The difficulties come. Jesus, that's actually another promise that Jesus gave us. The trials and tribulations will come our way. But since he's persecuted, we also will be persecuted. We can't just pick and choose which promises we want to claim. Those are actually promises that Jesus gave us as well. But he doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us as orphans. Instead, he gives us this promise that he's with us. And that's a reality. That's a real thing. That's not just a, a bumper sticker or a magnet you stick on your fridge. That is a, re- a living reality in your life. The presence of God with you. So we're going to unpack that in, in three, three, three ways. We need his presence as a personal promise, promise for, three, for, for three reasons. This needs to be personal. This needs to be a burning conviction in our hearts. We need his presence as a personal promise. Firstly, for this reason. Because circumstances or the enemy will try to convince us that he has forsaken us. Circumstances or the enemy will try to convince you that he's forsaken you. And I would would venture to say that oftentimes circumstances or, or temptations or attacks of the enemy are not always discernible. We can't always tell which is which. 
But one or the other, they'll try to convince you that God has somehow forgotten you, that he's forsaken you, that he's left you out to figure it out on your own. And it's in those moments, it's in those seasons where we're tempted with those thoughts that this promise of his presence brings us back onto solid ground, grounds us on what is true, that I am with you always to the end of the age. That's, that's a pretty broad, broadly encompassing promise. To the end of the age. So look at verse 13. Or uh, chapter 6, verse 13, which we read. Because what King Solomon, this word that he receives from the Lord, what he's reminded of, is that this promise was a promise handed down to, down to him from his father and is a culmination of, it, of a critical moment in, in the nation of Israel. And he repeats something that's very common throughout the biblical literature. I'm going to dwell among the, the children of Israel, but I, that God will not forsake my people Israel. Because just like you and I, we can have those thoughts pop into our mind that maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe we've been left out to dry. That God's abandoned us. So it was with the children of Israel. They had similar thoughts. God's forgotten about us. Yeah, maybe he did these things in years prior and centuries gone by for our forefathers, but he's forgotten about us now. Now we've been abandoned. So Solomon grounds himself right at the outset of even building this temple, grounds himself in that reality, that God is a God that will not forsake them. And he repeats that same phrase then in 1 Kings chapter 8. He said, blessed, blessed be the Lord who's given rest to his people Israel according to all that he's promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our forefathers or with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. He cannot deny who he is. He is merciful. He is faithful. He cannot forsake you. And that is what is true. King Solomon is firmly rooted in Israel's heritage and in their story. I'm not sure how, how significant he, he understood the temple to be, but I'm, I'm sure he, he understood it as one of the main missions upon his life, one of the main mandates upon his life. But I believe he mentions Moses there in his benediction or his, his blessing upon the, the, uh, the nation of Israel. And so I was reminded of Moses standing before the people of Israel, commending them, I guess more exhorting them. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Moses challenged the children of Israel, just like we need to be challenged today to not forget who God is, that he is faithful, and he will not abandon us, he will not forsake us. We are forgetful beings. Some of us have seen miraculous things even in our day. Many, many of us have seen God do extravagant things already in our day and age, but yet circumstances can arise. And the enemy is so deceptive and he's so subtle in his attacks on our life that he can plant these thoughts in our head that somehow maybe God has now abandoned us. He brought us thus far, but now he's somehow forgotten us. And Moses says, do not forget what he's done and who he is, 
And then later in verse 30 and 31, he says, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Come back to relationship. Listen to his voice, obey him. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And so I've I've had this burning conviction on my heart all week that there are a number of individuals in our church that need to hear that, that God has not forgotten you. That he has not forsaken you. The call upon your life is still good. It's irrevocable. The call and the anointing upon your life does not matter the, the age, the season in which you find yourself. He has not forgotten you. There's a promise of his presence. He is with you always. Children of Israel needed to hear it. We need to hear it today. Last weekend when Tanya and I got to travel back to Seattle, it was such a rich trip. We got to connect with a lot of old friends. And Saturday morning, we got to have brunch with a number of dear friends of ours from our church uh, out in the Washington area. And uh, it was just an amazing morning connecting with a lot of them and reminiscing and catching up. It was almost like time really hadn't, not much time had passed. It was kind of weird, surreal. But one friend specifically that we got to connect with was a dear friend by the name of Emmy. Emmy is now in her mid-60s, and she's now a widow. Um, She wasn't a widow when we left, but her, her, um, her husband had since passed. She's an amazing story in Christ, such a strong woman, and I wanted to share just a little bit of her story and a verse that she shared with us in the living room there last Saturday. She encountered the Lord midlife and immediately began praying for her husband, Pete, that he would also encounter Christ. And for years and years and years, she prayed for her husband, Pete, that he would encounter Christ. And eventually, he did come to know Christ. Amen? So cool. But shortly after he encountered Christ, in a tragic, just fluke accident in the parking lot of, of a big box store, literally just tripped over a branch in a parking lot, complete fluke, hit his head on a car, a parked car, and was then a quadriplegic. I mean, just tragic story, complete fluke. And so for then, from then on, for the next 13 years, Emmy had to care for her, for her husband. I mean, in a, just a very intense way. I can't even imagine, honestly, the, the difficulties and the trials and tribulations that she faced in the midst of that. Towards the end of his life, just this last year, he, he ended up um, suffering with a lot of dementia and um, personality changes and all that stuff. It was just such a difficult season. But eventually he did pass. And sitting there in the living room, she shared James chapter 1 with us. And when someone who faces, walks through trials like that, says, quotes a, a passage of scripture, it means something, or it has a different weight to it than when you just read it on a magnet on your refrigerator. It says this, James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's what she had been in the midst of experiencing and walking through over the last 13 years. Count it all joy. To find your sufficiency in Christ in the midst of your own suffering, in the midst of your own trials and tribulations. To find and depend and rely and lean into Jesus in the midst of your difficulties. When she said it, there was like a, a hush that came upon the room. I and mean, we, were, we were eating brunch. It was not a, she was not preaching a sermon. But in that moment, as we knew the context of her story, 
She preached a sermon, and it carried such a weight to it. So I want to read this whole passage because it's so powerful in the context of the promise of his presence. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's the perseverance that God has called each and every one of us to. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's how God sees you. That's how he sees your, uh, your destiny and your future. As perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He does not leave you out to dry and to figure it out on your own. He gives you what you need. He, he's, he's there to equip you. He's with you always to the end of the age. And then in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. He gives that that vivid picture of, of the reality of our lives. Wind and waves and harshness of life, circumstances, temptations and trials. And when we don't call out to Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus and find our sufficiency in him and believe that he has given us what we need to to persevere and to push through and to be steadfast, we are just like a wave tossed to and fro. And I don't believe that's the case for anybody here. God wants something more for every single one of you. He gives you this promise of his presence. And this morning, I just want you to see him See Jesus standing before you. And what he's saying to you is, I'm with you always. In the midst of your trials, your tribulations, your circumstances that are extremely difficult, that honestly no one else can can fully understand. That's the reality. Nobody can fully understand what you face. It's uniquely yours. That's the, the things that you face in your life. When you fix your eyes on this promise of his presence, it's it's is grounding yourself on firm ground on a firm foundation. So we need his presence as a promise because circumstances of the enemy will try to convince us that he has forsaken us. Number two is this. Sometimes his presence is not felt. That's right. These last several weeks, we've been talking about something beyond sensationalistic feelings or emotional, something you stir up just emotionally. It's something so much more. King Solomon understood this. As now he stands before the people, he gets up from the altar, he stands before the, the people, and he prays with conviction and fervor and passion. But what he's met with here is not what he experienced prior. You see, when, he, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, what was it? It was a, a radical demonstration or manifestation of the presence of God. Cloud and power that physically changed things around them. But here, he raises his hands, he lifts up his voice. There's nothing. I mean, I'm sure they're compelled. I'm sure they're, they're moved. But in terms of a demonstration or a manifestation, there's, there's nothing. And so often we get distracted by the manifestations as though we, that's what we live for. That's just like the icing on the cake. I love to feel the presence of God. I love to be overwhelmed with, with laughter or, or to be brought to tears because I'm so moved by what God is doing in my heart. I love to feel his presence and his peace and his joy in a way that words can't describe. I love all of that. 
But the reality of life is that not all of life is, can be felt in that way. Not all moments do we feel God's presence. So I feel like some, as we talk about the presence of God, they can be confused. Maybe they can feel like they're broken. I've, I've sat through services and I don't feel anything. Can I tell you the presence of God is not first and foremost about what we feel. The presence of God is first and foremost about what is true. And the reality is he is with us always to the end of the age. And, when you, and actually, when you allow that to become the dominant reality in your life, you will begin to feel him more and more and sense him. But that's not what we live for. That's not what drives us. It's first and foremost grounding ourselves in what is true. That is the stable ground on which we, we plant ourselves as people of Jesus, people of God, as kingdom people. Focus first on what is true. There are some that actually come to Christ in very dramatic ways. Some dramatic manifestation or, or moving in their hearts or even a miracle. Those things are blessings, but I actually caution you, if you came to Christ in a very dramatic way, I'd caution you to ground yourself then on truth. The truth of, of his un, unfailing love towards you. And the fact that he does not forsake you. And so when those feelings pass, or, or when a time comes when it, you're feeling alone, and you're feeling dry, you cry out to the character of God that you know to be true, that he is faithful, that he will not forsake you, that he will not abandon you. I want you to ground yourself in that. Those are actually the roots of maturity. Immaturity rests solely on emotions, and it's this emotional roller coaster. Oftentimes, when we're just starting out in our faith, it can feel like this roller coaster of emotions. Because you feel accepted by God, and then you don't feel accepted by God. You, you feel him in a worship service, then you don't feel him in a worship service. And you feel victorious, then you don't. You feel very, you feel very defeated, whatever it is. That's the roller coaster of immaturity. I don't speak down to you in that. I'm just saying there's more for you. And you can ground yourself on the truth of who God is and his faithfulness and his promises that are unchanging. The roots of maturity go deep. And so, even in my own life, I've had seasons of, of dryness. I've actually been very open with my wife and some of the staff here at the church that as of late, I've, I've sensed this numbness in my heart to the presence of God. And I haven't felt moved in the same ways I had in prior seasons. It's just one of those seasons. I can get all insecure about that. I can get all introspective and, and start um, tearing myself apart. Or I can get on my knees and cry out to Jesus and ground myself in what is true. Knowing that he is with me always. I can allow my roots in this season of dryness to, to go down deep and find that the richness that's in Christ, that's down there. It's there, the depths of his goodness and his character that are unchanging. And I pray that over your life as well, that you'd experience the richness of those seasons. And the third is this. So we need his presence as a promise because circumstances of the enemy will try to convince us that he's forsaken us. Because sometimes his presence is not felt. And thirdly, because the world needs to know him. The world needs to know him. King Solomon, in this blessing, he said it in verse 59. He understood what they had. 
probably not to the fullness of it, but he understood how rare the nation of Israel was. He said, let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. He understood that they were a unique nation. The uniqueness of this, this idea that God, the God of the universe, the God that is like no other, would want to come and dwell amongst the people. You won't hear that message any other, any other place. You can go to a mosque or, or a, uh, a Hindu temple or a, go find some Buddhist monk or go to all sorts of other religions and you will not find a message about a God, a holy God, creator God of the universe coming and dwelling with people. It's holiness and grace mashed into one. This beautiful marriage of, of the holiness of God, the justice and the wrath of God with the, the unfailing love and grace of God. That is the uniqueness of the message that resides in us when we encounter the love of Jesus. Holy Spirit in you, and you know who you truly are. We all sleep with ourselves at night. We know the things that we have, we have done, the ways in which we have forsaken God. And yet Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. It's a scandalous message. And the world needs to know it. The world needs to know it. I was actually pretty overwhelmed last night being at the game. Thousands of people in this stadium. And I was, I was all these emotions were being stirred up in me. It's like, God, they need to know. So many do not know the goodness of God. The enemy loves to proclaim this message about Jesus, which is works-based salvation. That God is this far-off holy God that maybe we can can earn his acceptance through, through doing the right things. So Jesus just gets lumped in with all the other gods. That's works-based. The world needs to know about this radical grace of God, of God, the presence of God coming and dwelling with us friendship with God, that he can call you both a servant of God and a friend of God. The world needs to know. And the truth is, the world doesn't know. And it's actually the presence of God, the promise of his presence that compels us with boldness and courage to do things that are outside of ourselves, that are outside of our personality, outside of what we think is logical, push us out of our comfort zone, Maybe your personality is not to stop and talk with a stranger. Maybe your personality is not to talk with your neighbor beyond the, the, um, just the normal niceties of being neighborly. Maybe your personality is, is not to stop and pray for somebody. But the presence of God, when it becomes a burning con- conviction and a d- the dominant reality in your life, you're then compelled. You're compelled. They need to know him. You may not even have the words for it, but you just know they need to know him. Maybe you heard the story this week of the American missionary, John Allen Chow. Over the last several years, he just died at the age of 27, but over the last several years, he had had this conviction in his heart to go and create a, a pathway or a bridge into these, this tribe of people called the Andaman people, the Andaman tribe, on this remote island off the coast of India, on the, on the Bay of Bengal. He had, these, these people had been on his heart for several years, and he had been making a plan to go and to visit them. 
just to create, begin creating a pathway into their world. They're, they're one of a, a few tribes still completely isolated from the known world. No recorded interactions with, with uh, the developed world. They don't know the language that they speak. They don't know what kind of, uh, what things they know about the world around them. Completely detached from, civilized, from civilization. But this man, John Allen Chow, he had self-described adventure and explorer, had it in his heart to, to reach them. Some of his final words the night before his death, he wrote in his journal, said, God, I don't want to die, but if I do, to God be the glory. He said that out of personal relationship with the God that he had encountered for real. And it was out of that place of personal relationship with God that he felt compelled, even if a man giving his own life. So the, the promise of his presence does to us. It pushes us outside of what's logical, what's normal. He knew that his family would not understand. The day before, he had, had, he had come to the island and this little tribal boy shot a, a bow and arrow, shot an arrow at him and it pierced his Bible. That was his interaction the day before. And yet, the day after, he felt compelled to come back. Because the promise of his presence he knew God was with them, always to the end of the age, even to this remote island off the coast of India. The same is true for you in your neck of the woods, in your spheres of influence. God is compelling you with this conviction of the uniqueness of the, of the reality that his presence is in your life. You've come to know the goodness of God. If everyone would stand across this place, I, I wanted us to respond in a different way this morning. As we're wrapping up this series, I'd ask Paige to play a song that she'd been playing in midweek prayer. Every Wednesday at noon, we gather. There's a number of people that gather here for an amazing time of worship and prayer. And she's been playing this song. It's a very simple song. It repeats a couple of phrases over and over, but it's a powerful song called Surrounded. It says, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Later on it says, it may seem that like I'm surrounded, but in actuality, I'm surrounded by you. As we walk through life, there's like two realities at war. There's the reality that we see with our physical eyes and we can feel like we're surrounded. Trials, tribulations, circumstances, attacks of the enemy, pressure from people and expectations, seasons of dryness, all this stuff can surround us. And it can feel like we're surrounded. The greatest reality, the ultimate reality, the final truth over our lives is that we're actually surrounded by him. Those things just kind of fizzle to, the, to nothingness as we ground ourselves in the ultimate reality of God's presence, that he is with us always to the end of the age. So I want us to respond as a church. She's gonna sing this song. And whatever you're facing, if you felt like God's forsaken you, he's forgotten you, I want you to be reminded of that truth that he's with you always. If you feel like you're surrounded, if you feel like you've been walking through a season of dryness or numbness, if you've been walking in apathy towards your neighbor, towards those that have yet to know Christ personally, allow God to move you by this conviction, this confidence of the truth that he is with you. So everyone just close their eyes. And she begins to play this. Lord, right now, I pray over our church. 
Even like the, the benediction or blessing that King Solomon prayed over the nation of Israel, I prayed over our church that we'd understand what we are a part of. We live in the day and age when Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're not orphans, we're not victims. We're fully equipped to persevere, to be steadfast. You dwell in us. It's a, it's a living reality. Allow us to know it. Deep in our knower, I pray we know it. In your mighty name. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.